Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, guys. Hope you're well. We're back again with the Eurosport and Beautiful Game podcast collaboration. Before, we were bringing you daily transfer news and gossip throughout the transfer window in January. Now we're bringing you our views and analysis of the Champions League fixtures. So we're going to kick things off with a game between Atletico Madrid and Chelsea. Of course, it was Atletico's 100th game in the Champions League. And interestingly, they haven't been knocked out to an English side since Bolton 13 years ago in the UEFA Cup. Kicking uh, this one off for us is Pete. Let us know, Pete, what your thoughts were on that game. I was a bit of a waste of time for everyone who watched it until Olivier <laughs> Giroud popped up with that stunning, <laughs> stunning bit of acrobatic work. I mean, Giroud's a big lad and he's not young and he's into his 30s now. To move like he did there, is pre- I know everyone talks about Zlatan Ibrahimovic and how he stays fit. We need to be talking about Oliver Giroud a bit more. Like he's he's moving beautifully for his age. Yeah. Um, I think the wider talking about it's a massive win for Chelsea. It's the biggest win under Thomas Tuchel. Um, it also is obviously meaningless unless they can actually follow through um, in the second leg. I think the biggest talking point from the game is the tactics from Diego Simeone. Mm-hmm. Um, this season, he's been getting a lot of credit for the way he's sort of brought about a revolution in the way that Atletico are playing. They've been a lot more expansive, a lot more exciting to watch. Um, and he just went back to the old days of um, Dirty Diego. Like He just went completely back. <laughs> and there wasn't really a reason for it. I understand. I think it's over a month since they've kept a clean sheet now. I understand he's panicking a bit. They were missing a lot of key players. Obviously, Kieran Trippier is still missing. That is such mm-hmm. a big blow for the way they play. But I think you've shown enough this season. You're the best team in Spain. You're playing what, maybe the fifth best team in England at best? Like, I think you've got to be more bold there, especially in the home leg. I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to play for that nil or that one nil to them, so there's no away goal. But it's a strategy that if it backfires, you end up looking really silly, as he did on Tuesday night. And now they have to go to Chelsea and score, and Tuchel will know that. He is smart enough to know that he can sit and he can wait for them to come to him because then he's got the players, like Timo Werner and Callum Hudson-Odoi, who will catch them on the break. So... For me, I look at it and I look at the, what Simeone has chosen to do. I think that's a really big error from a really experienced manager. No, Pete, you're right. I mean, Atletico rolled out the red carpet for Chelsea and there was no reason for it. They played three at the back, 3-5-2, and it was a negative one. Thomas Lamar was stuck at left back for far too long. And this is a team with good talents. Like, if you take the game to Chelsea, you can cause them problems. You've got Suarez, Felix, Lamar. These are players on top of their form. They can cause problems. And I think the mindset and mentality from the coach contributed to a dour affair on their part. And 
you know, they gave Chelsea too much respect. Chelsea, for the large part, didn't cause a lot of problems. But when you play that sort of style of football, you invite pressure. And again, as you mentioned, like you end up looking a bit of a clown when it doesn't go for you. And the thing about it is Atletico were playing the style of football that they played five, six years ago, but with a different profile of player, players that can't cope with that. And I think Trips is a massive, massive miss. Lorente was playing on that right wing back spot. They've had five players that had to fill in um, mm. instead of him. And I just feel like, yeah, Atletico got showed up. Like people are talking about the, the Spanish league not being up to the standard, but I felt that, yeah, they didn't do enough. They didn't do enough to get something from that game. And yeah, like it's a tough, tough draw. I can't see them going through now. Mm. It is a very, very tight one, most most certainly. And I think for, for the for the most part, it was a very nip and tuck game. Um Dot, are we are we chatting too much about the the negative approach from Simeone and not uh, enough about the tactical approach from uh, Thomas Tuchel. Um, and I know, you know, on previous episodes on, on our pod, we've spoken about um, Hudson Odoi um, and, and, you know, the promise that he's shown and, and Mason Mount and, and those two players in particular really formed quite a, a, a formidable partnership in that game uh, on that sort of uh, right-hand flank and, and channel. Um, you know, what, what were your thoughts about them in particular and, and Tuchel's approach to the game? Yeah, I think fair play to Chelsea. I think we need to give Thomas Tuchel his credit here. I think he's had two very big games in his time as Chelsea manager, Tottenham away and Atletico Madrid away, obviously, not at their stadium. Mm-hmm. But, and he kept two clean sheets. So we've got to give him credit. And I think... The guys have been a bit harsh on Atletico Madrid. We all knew Atletico Madrid were going to set up in a way to contain the game, you know, be defensively solid. And if Atletico Madrid won that game 1-0, we'll be saying, look, that was a defensive masterclass. So I think this tie is still in the balance. I can see a team like Atletico Madrid going to the Stamford Bridge and spoiling the party because they're that sort of team. And I think, again, they're a team that play off of emotion. And with the lack of fans, I think that's going to affect them negatively in the Champions League. Um, going back to Chelsea's performance, I think it was brilliant. Like, job done. Giroud with a fantastic goal. And, yeah, good performance from Chelsea, but I think this tie is still in the balance, personally. Mm. Yeah, the reason why I'm obviously being critical against Atletico is this is not in keeping with what they've been doing all season. They've scored the second amount of highest goals in the league They've shown that attacking impetus. Suarez has been in the goals. Jao Felix, this is a player I feel should be on that level of Mbappe and Haaland. He's got that ability. So why wasn't he let off the shackles by his manager? That's the big thing for me. Obviously, they didn't have the privilege of playing at the Wanda Metropolitana at the moment. Obviously, they had to play in Bucharest. So that's unfortunate. They don't have that home advantage. And... Let's be honest, Chelsea, they're coached well by Thomas Tuchel. He's got them playing possession football. They're aggressive. They play on the front foot. It's hard to get, you know, possession in the game. And I think eventually the way Chelsea just kept rotating the ball and manipulating the ball, it eventually took Atletico Madrid's confidence away. And it was a professional job by Chelsea. I know I feel like I'm never missing players, but my issue is that this is not a great Chelsea team. You could go after them. Like, this is not the same... (laughs) This is a different team to the one they played last time. And Atletico won that game because they were a better coach team than the Jose Mourinho team. But you could have gone and you could have you could have put down a marker 
with Suarez and with Felix and with the other players that could have pushed forward and you could have said, we're going to come out and play. And even if Chelsea got the goal, you should have backed yourself to be able to get two. It's, I just feel like with the loss last week, I think it's a little bit tentative now for Athletic, for Athletic Madrid. They've got the derby in a couple of weeks and the return leg here. Simeone has to make the right decisions with those two games because if he doesn't, he's all of a sudden going to see the season completely slip away when it could have been something really, really special. So mm. I I get what you're saying. I, I agree with you. I think perhaps we are being a little bit too harsh, but you don't spend 100 million euros on a player and you don't bring in someone like Luis Suarez if you don't think that you're good enough to be at the top table of Europe. And if you think you're mm. good enough to be at the top table of Europe, you go out there and play like that. You don't go out mm. there and just basically sit there and wait for something to happen. They could do that when they were underdogs, but they're not that anymore. They're a bigger club yeah. now. Yeah, but Pete, just add the flip side to that very quickly. You said you don't think that this Chelsea team's a great team. But I mean, they made five substitutes yesterday. Kai Havertz, Reese James, Hakim Ziyech, Ancola Conte, Christian Pulisic. Those are the five players that came on from the bench. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. No, no I'm, not, I'm not denying the squad is unbelievably talented and it is richly assembled. But we have seen this season that they do not mesh well for whatever reason. And it's starting to look okay-ish under Tuchel, but they drew us out until the weekend and they didn't look great doing it. Like, there are issues here and that team is there. Like I think next season, they will be very dangerous, Chelsea. But I think right now they're still a little bit vulnerable and they could have been taken. Mm. My final question on this is, is that in the return leg, both Jorginho and uh, Mason Mount miss out because they've, they've uh, you know, collected yellow cards in that um, that game yesterday. Are they going to be a huge miss for Chelsea? Do, do Does Tuchel have enough in his squad to, um, you know, best find a way to to deal with uh, the, the, the fact that he's going to be missing both those players? Definitely. I mean, they've got Kai Havertz. He's a big money acquisition. I know, obviously, he's, he's settling in period, has been hampered by his covid and they've also got N'Golo Kante. These are two players that you would think should be at a level where they can come in and fill in those gaps. And especially the type of game that it should be, a very physically demanding game. N'Golo Kante, yes, he hasn't really looked up to his usual level, but he's still at a level where he can make a massive impact. And yeah, I think they've got enough squad depth. And that's why they went on this splurge this summer to be mm. able to like fill in the gaps and bring in similar sort of quality into the team. Moving on then, uh, Bayern were, were dominant against Lazio, winning uh, uh, 4-1. It's, it's actually the first time that Lazio have reached the, um, the last 16 in two decades. And the last time they, they were at this point, uh, their manager, uh, um, Inzaghi, was actually leading the line for them. You know, uh, a much younger version of himself, of course. Um, and another really interesting stat is that Lazio have the highest average age of uh, any of the 98 clubs in the top five leagues in Europe. And it certainly looked that way on the pitch yesterday. Um, Dej, take us away with your thoughts on this game, please. I mean, this was ruthless efficiency. Every mistake that Lazio made, it was pounced on in emphatic fashion. I mean, Lewandowski's first goal, the defender passed it with his heel and... He's that man that you want in those positions where he's think he's in control. Like we saw a similar situation today with Gabriel Jesus, exactly the same thing. And this is what marks the difference between those elite, great, top, top, that you don't have any question marks against and the also runs. And I think Lewandowski showed what he's about. And 
they just had Lazio stretched. Like Sane was running free, Coleman mm. was running. And I think this is why Bayern Munich will always be in the latter stages. Like they're my favourites to win the competition. I think their big game temperament around this stage of the competition, they're ruthless. They finished ties in the first leg. And yeah, I think it was a majestic performance. 100%. And um, prior to the game, you know, you, you mentioned there, Dej, that um, Lewandowski was sort of really, really sharp and, and, and really fastest finger first. And prior to the game, people were drawing comparisons between Lewandowski and, of course, Chiro Immobile, who, who beat him to, to the punch for the, the, the uh, golden boot in Europe. And he has been very prolific um, in, in Italy um, you know, for, for at the time that he's played for Lazio. But, you know, what went wrong for him him yesterday, uh, Dot? What, what what do you think, you know, was the reason why we didn't see more of, of, of a Chiro Immobile? Just have to be honest with ourselves. Bayern Munich are the better team. They've got world-class players littered all over the pitch. Mm. I mean, come on, Lazio don't stand a chance against the reigning champions of the Champions League. I mean, Bayern Munich, the energy they play with, the way they switch the play and just the clinical nature of them, it's just going to take them all the way in this competition again, in my opinion. And I think I was listening to Lucas Slava actually talk on Clubhouse on the football show with Jamie Carragher, and you can almost hear him resign before the game. And I think there was a stat <laughs> that someone mentioned that Bayern Munich have won their last 18 games or something in the Champions League, something crazy mm. like that. So I think, yeah, Lazio, well done for getting to the last 16, but I think their story ends here. Mm. And Pete, you know, uh, in that game, I think Bayern were nursing a few injuries. And, and so it, it meant that the young Jamal Musiala mm. got a starting berth in that midfield. And of course, you know, he 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 uh, announced himself on the stage with a with a pretty sumptuous finish. Um, of course, you know, he, he his, his name's been sort of ringing bells uh, over the past couple of months with with the performances that he's been putting in. Um, but I guess it, it led his performance in particular led to a, uh, all of the discussion on social media about whether or whether or not he he should go to um, to the Euros and play for for England or if he was going to decide to to play for for Germany. And 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 you know off air just now we were speaking about the fact that it, it seems as though he's he's made his mind up. Um, do do you think he's right in his decision to to choose Germany over uh, England? Yeah, I mean, first of all, before we get into that, I think Hansi Flick's biggest legacy at Bayern on this time around will be the Champions League win. The second biggest legacy will be the promotion of Jamal Musiala. That is how big of a role Flick seems to have had in this kid's promotion. He is the kid's biggest champion. He's always pushing for him to start. He is turning to him off the bench when they need goals. He relies on him. He trusts him. And I think he could feature in this Bayern team for the next decade or so. You know how legendarily hard it is to get players out of Bayern. He could stay there. And he can take over that number 10 role that Thomas Muller has filled so well. He's obviously a very different player to Muller. Mm-hmm. He offers something which makes him so important. In terms of his international role, I think it's the perfect move for him to choose Germany over England. Like, I'm not saying that he's any worse or better than the attacking talents that England have at their disposal. But you could name six or seven brilliant number 10 slash wide players that England have who are 22, 23 or younger. You think... Raheem Sterling, James Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Phil Foden, Mason Mount. Like, there are options there. If you were to do the same for Germany, I, I mean, apart from maybe maybe Florian Witz at Bayer Leverkusen, who looks pretty talented, 
there's not really many knocking about who are sort of in that 22, 23 and below category. So I know that he's spoken about the push that Joachim Lowe has made for him to come and play for Germany. And Lowe has explained the progression system that he sees Musiala taking and he sees him featuring maybe in the Euros this summer, probably not, but definitely looking towards the World Cup and then Euro 2024. So like international if you if you're a dual national, it's a very difficult and a very personal choice, and you have to be very careful. I think when you talk about why a player makes a choice, because ultimately mm. you don't know, and they need to do what mm. they feel is right. When you listen to Musiala talk about it, he sounds conflicted. Like he was born in Germany, he spent a lot of his formative years in England. Like he is very close to both countries, and there's nothing wrong with him making the decision based on the opportunities that he's going to get. And if he thinks they're going to come with Germany and he's going to get a chance to show off his best qualities with Germany, a country where he feels very close to, then that's the right decision for him. Mm. From my perspective as an outsider, and I look at it purely from a playing perspective, I think it's the best decision for him as well. Atalanta and Real Madrid. You know, Real Madrid came away 1-0 winners. Um, For the most part, it was a very sterile performance and they were sort of, uh, you know, really... It was a, a bit of a smash and grab from them with a, a Furlan Mendy effort. I mean, absolutely brilliant effort. Um, you know, can't 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 un, can't understate that. It was with his weaker foot uh, from range. Um, but for large parts in that game, it seemed as though Real Madrid really lacked potency up front. Um, of course, with with some notable omissions in Eden Hazard and Karim Benzema. Um, how, how did you see it? I think it's a good win for Real Madrid. I think this was a tie that I couldn't really call in the last 16. I thought it was almost like a 55-45, but then I saw the Real Madrid injuries and I was thinking, wow, Atalanta should fancy their chances and I'm really, really disappointed with their performance today. I mean, I think they only had three shots compared to Real Madrid's 19 shots. Um, Obviously, getting the early red card doesn't help, but I think this was an opportunity that Atalanta have missed today because I think this Real Madrid, they're flaky, they're soft, they're missing a few of their world-class players, go out there and put out a statement and they failed to do that. And now I can only see one winner in this tie and that's Real Madrid winning comfortably in the second leg. I think that's harsh. That yeah, 17 minutes, red card, come on, your back's against the wall. It's a that bad red as well. Like it's a bad, yeah. very bad. That was like, very debatable. I thought like, the ref could have got away with giving a yellow it's card. It's one of those ones. Don't give the ref any decisions to make early on. Yeah, but I think the, re- the ref, down. you could see, he had a rush of blood to the head. He didn't think it through. <laughs> immediately, immediately red card. He didn't think about it. Like, yeah, so I, thought, I thought that killed the game, to be honest. And Pesina is a player that I've been watching a lot during this season, and he's sort of tried to take the mantle from Papu Gomez. He's a mm. different player. Obviously, Papu Gomez fills the game, controls the game. Pessina is more of an all-rounder midfielder. Mm. And I think he's added a balance. You know, Atalanta won against uh, Napoli on the weekend, 4-2. It was an impressive display. And I thought, as Dot said, that they could give Real Madrid a run for their money. But with the red card and everything that went on in the game, I thought it leaves them in a very perilous position. And I can't see them going through, in my opinion. I think that damage has been done. I think they've got a chance, doesn't yeah. it? I think they've got a chance, yeah. just quickly. Because I think they were, the key thing is it's one. If it was two, they were mm. done. But I mm. think one, they got a chance. Sorry, go Yeah, on. Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Oh, and, go on, Doc. Go on. No, Real Madrid, <laughs> to be honest, they're like getting ahead of steam now. I know they've got injuries. Yeah. All wins in a row in the league. They're looking 
obviously they're not in their imperious form, but they're getting results. They're mm. becoming a results monster. And I think, yeah, man, I think they're going to go through. No, I was just going to say, lastly, I think Atalanta are one of those weird teams that can go to the Bernabeu and score three goals. They are capable <laughs> of their attack. They put six men in the box. But I just think defensively, they're going to let themselves down. And I see Real Madrid going through comfortably in the end. The one other thing to mention on this game is we had another Hudson Odoi moment where Illich came on and then got hooked again after coming on. And I think the TV commentators speculated that there was an injury, but some of the Italian reporters are saying that Gasparini was not impressed and was really having a go at Illich and saying, look, look, if you don't want to work, get off the pitch. If you want to just sit there and complain, I don't care, come off. So he's already fallen out with one of his star men in Papu Gomez, who's gone. Of course. I wonder if it's the last, if he's sort of easing out Illich and maybe he's doing that classic big dog thing where he takes out the big dogs of the first team and eventually the club and brings them in with younger players who are prepared to work and do what he wants them to do. Because if if this is a longer term thing, it's not coincidence it's happened twice in a year. Mm. And yeah. Gasparini is a bit of a hothead as well. We saw him <laughs> yeah. set off on the weekend. So yeah. yeah. Of course. Think, and, I, and I just think when you let a player like Papu Gomez go mid-season, what kind of message does that send to your players? Surely the players are going to be like, you know what, I don't believe that we can do anything in the Champions League. And you kind of saw a flat performance from them today. Yeah, no, 100%. And and yeah, I mean, Gasparini certainly does have a, a, a solid track record when it comes to this kind of thing. You know, we, we obviously heard from Tim, Timothy um, Castagne as well, who spoke about him falling out with Gasparini yeah. before joining Leicester too. So, you know, hopefully it's not, it's not the sign of, of, of things to come. But of course, uh, you know, credit where it's due. Um, you know, they defended resolutely for you know, near enough 70 minutes with, with 10 men. So, you know, uh, f- fair play to them. Right. So so this week, the final um, fixture that we hadn't yet covered was the one between uh, Mönchengladbach and City. Um, pretty uh, comfortable win for, for City with, uh, with, with a 2-0 um, and seemed to be pretty much in, in cruise control. Another... Uh, Cancelo masterclass, heavily involved in in both the goals. Um, Pete, do you want to kick us off on uh, on this one? Yeah, I'm going to kick it off by asking a question. Mm. Is Jao Cancelo the best yeah. fullback in football? Yeah, right yeah, now? that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> is he even a fullback? Is he a yeah, fullback? Yeah. That's he's, the question. He's, he's Pep's second lamb, isn't he? He's just found he's done another player who he can yeah. just shift everywhere and let everyone run through him. I mean. I can't think of anyone else I'd rather have over him right now. I mean, Josh Kimmich maybe, but he's more of a midfielder these days. Alfonso mm-hmm. Davies perhaps, but he's not as versatile as Cancelo. He can, as he said, he can do everything. He can play centre back, left back, right back, centre mid, DM. I mean, I'd like to see him <laughs> try play wide. I mean, how long before Pep plays in ten like he did with Lam? I mean, he, <laughs> it's honestly remarkable how much he can do. And I know it was born out of a bad signing with Danilo, but they absolutely robbed Juventus there. What swap deal with what 28 million on top or something like that? I I recall last season, Dal Cancelo was very unsettled at the club, and there was even even rumors in the summer that he may be moved on as a potential departure. So, this is not something that's just he's come to the club and he's hit the ground running. This Mm. is a player that had his struggles last season. Pepe sat down with him, coached him, and made him a much better player. And I think we need to credit Pep Guardiola for his rise. Yeah, I completely agree. Because you get so many of these, so often you hear people talk about what does Guardiola actually do? All he does is spend money and like he just 
wins the league that way. Uh, and like obviously they're not technically from he spends a hell of a lot of money. But you look at the improvement of certain players, you look mm. at the development of Cancelo, you look at the development of Phil Foden, of Raheem Sterling. He changes these players and takes them to a new level. I don't think anyone looked at someone like Kimmich before he got to Bayern and thought this kid could be like the most destructive box-to-box midfielder in the world. Like, I understand that he likes to spend a lot of money, but it's normally because there's a certain type of player he's identified who he thinks he can work with. And I think that's why we're seeing this sort of acceleration in the Haaland rumours for the summer, because I think he's not convinced by Jesus. Aguero is obviously on the way out. And I think... For as much fault as Lucien Favre had at Dortmund, I think he does deserve credit for the hold-up development of Erling Haaland. Like, he's so much better now when the ball comes into him. He brings his teammates in. And you can be sure that Guardiola has seen that and he's thought, oh, he's developed a lot under someone like Favre. Imagine what he could do under someone like me. And I, I think there's obviously a lot of chat about where I'll go. Obviously, Chelsea and Real Madrid are all interested as well. But I, th- I think City just seems like the more and more obvious choice for him this summer. No, I agree. And obviously, we just take it to the game. I think everyone predicted that Manchester City will win. It was just a case of how many, because they've been in imperious form. They've beaten all the all-comers that have come to face them, beating Liverpool at Anfield. And once this game started, you could just see that fair factor. It was like a boxer that felt the power and they just retreated. <laughs> and that's what we felt with um, Borussia Mönchengladbach. And again, Cancelo picking up the nice positions. The front three weren't as fluent as we've seen in recent weeks because Gabriel Jesus is obviously the main striker. And the question for me for Manchester City, if they can win the Champions League, is can they handle those crazy 10 minutes? We've seen it over the past few Mm. years against Lyon, Liverpool. They always seem to have that lapse of concentration in those big pressure games. And I think their future in this competition will depend on that because we know they can play the silky football. You know they can open up attacks and score goals. But to be fair, in the first half, I thought the commentators were a bit overboard in their praise. Yes, there was good football, but there weren't too many attempts on goal. So there was the style, but there wasn't the substance. Mm -hmm. Second half, I think Borussia Mönchengladbach felt, you know what? Hmm. we've tasted your best. And they started to come out. They were attacking City. And we saw some, you know, openings that could have culminated in a goal. But all in all, was a good win for Manchester City. And these are the sort of games, you know, they're going to breeze through. And I can see them comfortably beating Munch and Gladbach in the home tie. But what I would say to that, Dej, is that you can see why other teams will have, you know, some sort of confidence against Manchester City. Because I even recall in the first half, there was a few times where they could have got in behind, but the ball was, you know, over here or... Mm. Edison done a good job sweeping up, though. And there was one Mm. on the right side where they tried to square it across the ball and I think Kyle Walker recovered. But I think Mm. if that's a better team with a better profile player in terms of pace, you know, power to get up the pitch, they're going to cause Manchester City troubles. And it's that 10 minutes. If Manchester (laughs) City can handle that 10 minutes, they'll probably go on to win the Champions League. No, definitely. And mm. I think Ruben Diaz is another key cog that's been added to the team. And I spoke to um, a coach in midweek and he told me about a time when he went to go and watch Ruben Diaz when he was a 19-year-old, when he went to play against Manchester United at Old Trafford. He said he actually went to go and watch the goalkeeper's villa. But after around 10, 15 minutes, his attention just drew to Diaz. He said where he was barking instructions, telling his defenders where to go. You go there, you go there. And you're just wondering whether that leadership, that generalship on the pitch will be enough 
to maybe see Manchester City win the Champions League because they've got all the components. They're a well-synchronised unit, but can they get over that hurdle? And the question is, it will always be there because this is their holy grail. But sometimes the more harder you try to get something, the more it eludes you. So I'm interested to see, but I still believe Bayern Munich are the front runners for the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think very last one on this, but I think when you look at the hierarchy in terms of favourites for me, I look at Bayern Munich as the outright favourites followed by PSG. And then you've got your Manchester Cities and maybe Liverpool under if they can have a strong cup run this season. So that's it from me, to be honest. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think the the only other thing to add from from my point of view is is timing plays such a big part in this. And just at the perfect time, City have all of their players available. Mm -hmm. We've seen now Aguero come back from injury. Jesus gets some minutes. Kevin De Bruyne gets some minutes at the weekend. So if there was ever a time, I know we've said this uh, on on a few different occasions. But it, it just feels like if there was ever a time that they could actually really do something uh, in this competition, it's now with a full strength uh, squad and the fact that they're winning games, but doing so, ha- not having to get out of second and third gear, you know. Um, I think the key thing, they're not conceding goals as well. I think mm-hmm. that's a key thing as well. Mm-hmm. They only conceded once in the group stage. Exactly. And, no, and before, game. 100%. And then before, I think it was before the 85th minute or so, uh, Edison had gone two hours in the Champions League without having to make a save. So <laughs> it's phenomenal. You know. <laughs> it's psychologically crushing for the yeah. opposition, man. We're going to leave it there for now, but we'll certainly be back uh, for the return legs. There are quite a few of these fixtures that seem done and dusted and, and ties that seem over, but you know, we, we have to wait and see um, or, or in the return legs. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And we'll Thank catch you. you on the next episode. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 